These are tumultuous times in world history. You can't even keep up with the news headlines, how crazy things are. Um, we mentioned in our prayer a couple of the big issues, uh, the Middle East, Syria, Iraq, with ISIS and the attacks and horror of all of that. Then Ebola in Africa, there's something like 8,000 confirmed cases and uh, over 4,000 have died. And now popping up in the United States somewhat more. Uh, it's tumultuous, it's hard to imagine, it's scary. It's, uh, there's a huge storm hitting India right now too, a cyclone. Uh, right in the city that I've spent quite a bit of time in, Vishakhapatnam. Uh, and they said a year ago, a storm like this killed 10,000 people up in a, a nearby state in India. Uh, times are crazy. Uh, I've hardly ever seen a time, to me, that's so tumultuous. I don't know if that's a good word, but uh, it seems like appropriate. And you really need to have your bearings straight. You have to know where you're going. And may I remind you that you are a created being and you're actually made to worship. You're made to honor, to glorify um, something. And there's really actually only two choices. There's only two choices, two things you could glorify, two things you can live for, two things you can be heading for. One is the creation, all the things around us, or two is the creator. You can either worship what God made and ignore him, or you can worship God himself. In other words, you can be all enamored with the effect, or you can be worshiping and giving glory to the cause of all things. And this is brought very clearly, uh, I want to use as an introduction, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is a very decisive chapter in the Bible to just to understand history and life and the flow of, of everything and how, how it all has happened and how it is happening. You know, this is written roughly 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul, and yet it sounds like it's written in response to a Supreme Court decision this past week. It's so current, the decision particularly where they decided not to rule on a gay marriage. And so Romans 1, let me read verses 16 and following, and, and look for that categorical statement that I already made, that you are made to worship, and either you're worshiping the creation, you're all enamored with the effect, or you're giving glory and loving the creator, the cause of it all. Those are the only two categories. Paul says this, verse 16, I'm, I'm reading uh, several verses here um, because it it's all so good, I can't, can't skip over much of it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And, and the verb tense there, you could translate it, it's present. It, it is being revealed. God's wrath is constantly being revealed uh, from heaven. For the wrath of God is, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See, they've... they've said there's no God, so let's infuse in the creation God-like powers. Creation created itself through freakish accident. You know, I, I, I think there's a bazillion arguments against that, but one I would tell you right now is the hummingbird. Uh, we have this wonderful problem in our house, we're sort of infested with hummingbirds. And I literally went out of the house and one flew really close to my head. I thought, what, are you attacking me? That's not what this is from, by the way. The, the attack of the hummingbirds. <laughs> that would have been a better story. But uh, There really is no story here except that I was working on something and trying to find the sharp places where I could bang my head. And I was successful <laughs> on a couple of occasions. <laughs> anyway, sorry about my head. Never mind that. <laughs> But this hummingbird, I'm not kidding you, came right past, past me. And you, could, you know why they're called hummingbirds. They make quite a bit of noise. It's, just, it's humming real loud. And, and then you watch them over the flowers. They come, and they stop. You ever seen that? Yeah. And their wings are just doing all this stuff, and they hover around that flower. They dip into that one, come around to this one, come around to this one, and then they fly off. They're so fast. Can you imagine their little hearts beating at unbelievable speed? I mean, the energy needed to maintain all that muscular activity is huge. And no other birds do this. I, I dare. Now, I look at the Jorgensen's, and actually their son is working on these little robotic things that are getting close to being able to do this stuff, right? But believe me, tons of intelligence is going into creating a robot that could barely simulate a hummingbird. Am I right? I mean, Amazon wants to deliver your package with a robot, perhaps, you know, a flying uh, unmanned drone. But here's this little tiny bird. And here's the deal. In all mutations, 
Genetic information is not added. How did you get to all of this wealth of genetic information to create this sort of throwaway thing that comes out of an egg, a tiny single-celled egg? I close my case. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm stupid, but I'm totally blown away by the creation, and I don't think I'm stupid. <laughs> I mean, that is amazing, dear friends. If that won't get you to worship. And I'm not going to think that the hummingbird created itself. How brilliant of you, bird. You know, if I'm flying real fast, I'd like to be able to stop immediately and keep hovering around in the air. Not like those eagles now. The eagles, they have to land on the telephone poles. Silly eagles, right? But I'm going to be better than an eagle. Anyway, think about it. See, they exchanged the glory of the immortal. Immortal means living God. We're just saying, are you going to worship the living God, the source of all life, or that which is derived and dependent from the living God? This isn't my sermon. This is background information. Therefore, okay, verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. There's this amazing moral, ethical aspect to rebellion against God. Why are, why are human beings rebelling against God? Because I want to do what I want to do. I want to feel good. I want ecstasy. I want escape. I want it now, and I want it often. They just want to do it their way. And so God gave them up. And it's interesting here because this is saying that since they didn't honor God, literally sinful lifestyles are a punishment on them, a result of their rebellion, right? Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. You know, I, I'm actually pretty enamored. I have a, the new iPhone 6 here. I got it. I got it because, well, Verizon did this deal. You can turn in your old iPhone and, and get this for next to free. You know, they, 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 had, me. they had me. I was never intending to get this, I promise. <laughs> but uh, we'll see if it works here. By the way, I'm supposed to be using it here. <laughs> Uh, just a second here. Um, <laughs> uh, but but y y did the iPhone create itself? Do we really believe in undirected, unintelligent creation? I mean, do you think the entire universe happened out of unintelligence? I, I just don't think so. <laughs> Nothing, this, you know, this, this came from years of amazing effort and experimentation and failure and retries over and over and over again. And, and no one in their right mind would think this happened by accident on its own. But I'm telling you, the hummingbird is way better. This didn't come from an egg, <laughs> a single cell, tiny little egg that the, the mother bird eats some sort of sap 
and, and grows a bird. How did that happen? Okay, sorry, I'm getting distracted here. Um, therefore, let's see. Um, verse 25 is just so powerful. See, this is you here today. You came today to hear this. Are you worshiping the creature or are you worshiping the creator? That's the thesis of my message. Hear it. Please hear it. Hear nothing else. Let, let us all be reminded that we have an opportunity to know the creator and worship and live for him and love him. You know, don't, don't love the toys. Love the one who created the toys. <laughs> love God himself. Verse 25 because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. See, see, God isn't actually harmed by the fact that any human being doesn't worship him. He's blessed forever, he's, he's plenty glorified. He has a whole troop of amazing angels that are flying around singing glory to him constantly, you know, holy, holy, holy. Uh, he's blessed forever. You get right with God because you have to. It's you that's losing in the deal. God's not saying, oh, please come back to me. I'm lonely. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not the picture of God. He's self-sufficient. He's all-powerful. He's loving. He's paid the way. But you come back to him because you desperately need him. I desperately need him. Okay, verse 26. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts and men with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, see that, that you know, I, I just don't see fit to do that. It's no way. There can't be a God. I don't want a God. You can have your God, keep your God, keep your God to yourself. Keep God out of my bedroom. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. And this is rebellion. Rebellion. We're all naturally disobedient. We all naturally rebel against the authority of God. The issue is authority. Will you submit to my authority? So it's this wonderful package, you see, of, of creation and love and power and, and yet authority as well. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, they were gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish. You know, sin is so foolish. It's like, what was I thinking? Right? Think of like a guy running for office in New York, for example. Let's say he's going to send a text message to a girlfriend and take off his shirt and send it to her. Oh, that was brilliant. You look like the kind of guy we want to elect to the Senate. Maybe you could run for president. You know, it's idiotic, right? It's like, what? 
How stupid, how degrading, how degraded is this beautiful creation of man when we rebel against God. Haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree, see, everyone knows this deep in their heart. They know that they're living in sin. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but have a parade on the street to celebrate this stuff. They give approval to those who practice them. That's my background point. Now let's get to the sermon after a word of prayer. I won't hold you too long. Father, please recalibrate all of us, Lord. We Please, Lord, in your precious Holy Spirit, reveal to us how we have been enamored, not with you, but what you've created. And we've actually been uh, serving the creation rather than the creator. And we've actually been perverting the use of your good things in sin. Lord, please, please grant us repentance. Help us to hate it and loathe uh, what we are when we're doing that garbage. And give us clean repentance to turn to you on this first day of the week. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, this was all suggested to me by John chapter 7. We're, we're working through the thinking of Jesus, and you see I put the reference there, John 7, 14 through 19. And let me, we've already studied this a little bit, and yet there's some super amazing gems, just golden diamonds in the beautiful mine shaft that are just gorgeous here, that uh, even today we won't be appraising them properly. But let, let me read then John 7, uh, as it says, 14 through 19. Tiny, tiny bit of background. Remember earlier on in this uh, chapter, um, the brothers of Jesus, his, these would be his, his half-brothers. They were, Mary had several children after Jesus. And um, they weren't believers. They didn't, didn't even like Jesus, I don't think, very much. And they got together and they were trying to encourage Jesus to go down to Judea during the big feast of booths, one of the big Jewish feasts. Uh, probably in the background they knew that there were a lot of people there that wanted, that wanted to kill Jesus. I, I think they were just kind of like trying to push him out, almost like, you know, the brothers of Joseph. Well, let's, let's get rid of him. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites or throw him in a pit. Let's do something. I don't, I don't know exactly, but that, that, that's the feel for me. And so Jesus says, no, 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 no I'm, not, I'm not going down. I'm not going down to this feast. Not the way you want me to go down, certainly. Not now. My timing is not now. But then he does go down in private, quietly. He sneaks down there. But he doesn't stay that way. In verse 14, we have him sort of bursting forth. You know, it's his stage call. Time to get out there about the middle of the feast, so he chooses the time when things are really getting exciting, about the middle of the feast, this is verse 14, John 7, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. 
This is not a guy who's cowering in fear. He's not trying to hide. He goes right out there. And he began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? He doesn't have a master of divinity. He doesn't have a doctor. A, a doctor of divinity has nothing. He, he hasn't gone to the seminaries. He hasn't been with the rabbis. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. If you seek the glory of God the Creator, the one who sent Jesus and sent us, we seek his glory, then we're, we will be true. Jesus is true. Uh, you can almost read authentic, real, genuine there in verse 18. He's true, and in him there is no falsehood. Nothing to lead you astray. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? So we'll stop there, and I just want to open up this idea of glorifying God. Again, the, the categorical statement, you either glorify his creation, which could be you, your desires, you're a part of his creation, um, or you glorify the creator. You either glorify the cause or the effect. Believe me, the cause is better than the effect. And Jesus is saying here, no, you, you guys are marveling at my teaching, but uh, I am teaching what God gave me. And we should know God. To glorify God, we should know him and proclaim him. This is what Jesus says. I am not proclaiming myself. I'm proclaiming God the Father. The Jews marveled, and Jesus answered, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. It is his teaching. Authority flows from God. This is so exciting because we are people who say there's something right and there's something wrong. But we have to get out of the way because this isn't our category. Authority for truth flows from the Creator. God who knows it. He knows what's right or wrong. He made it. And for background information on this, look at John 5, 19 through 24. John 5. This is Jesus speaking. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. See, Jesus is an, is an example for us to follow. We should be able to know God the Father so well and proclaim him that we're saying, what I'm doing is what God the Father wants me to do. What I'm believing and teaching is what God the Father has taught. And it's so powerful when the authority flows from God. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. 
For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Look at verse 23, 523. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. So powerful. Because we live in a world where lots of people are saying, yes, we believe in God, and we know God, and we honor God. Uh, we don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe that Jesus is the necessary Savior. We don't believe that he died for our sins. We don't believe that he's God. Uh, we, so we dishonor the Son. And Jesus says, you cannot have one without the other. This is the only way that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever, look at verse 23, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. The authority flows from God. Jesus says, listen, I know you're questioning my authority. I, I am unschooled by your standards, but I know what I'm saying because my authority flows from God the Father. And this, by the way, is open to all believers. We don't believe in a priestly caste of, of, of privileged Bible teachers who they alone know the Bible and all the rest of Christians aren't supposed to know it. They're supposed to live their life in some sort of ignorance. No, you're supposed to know it. You're supposed to know the Father and glorify him and love him based on information and knowledge. That's why he has revealed himself to us. Authority flows from God. His authority can be your authority. When you know the truth of God, you can follow the example of Jesus. Jesus does not hide the truth. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of a theme here in this passage, but he goes right up into the temple. He's not ashamed of it. It's God's truth. He represents something that people hate this truth. They want to kill him for this truth. It's a minority opinion. But he doesn't take it and sit on it and go back in a corner and say, well, people don't like this, so I won't say it. No, part of missions is lovingly, but powerfully proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ in a polycultural setting, saying that Jesus is the only way of salvation for all who believe. It's wide open. Whoever believes can have eternal life. Jesus does not hide the truth. If we are willing to do God's will, we will know the truth. This is one of the gems. It's huge. Like It's like a 15-carat diamond. It's, it's amazing. I love this. It's, it's right here in verse 17. Think of 717. I think it's very interesting because it makes uh, what you would call a, an epistemological point. Epistemology is the study of how we know something. How do you know what you know? That's epistemology. And Jesus is making a point of how you can know that God is true. That what Jesus is saying and the authority of God and these categorical statements that I've been celebrating here today, how can we know that this is true? And it, it is connected 
to morality. It's connected to our will and our submission to him. And Jesus um, makes this statement, 717. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. So what, what he's saying, he's saying there's a prerequisite for knowing whether or not the teaching of Jesus is true and categorically true in every case. And it's our willingness to submit to the authority of God. This is the Christian doctrine that we call repentance. Repentance. You know, the, the Greek word for repentance, probably some of you have heard it, it's metanoia. Metanoia, which really means change your mind. Change your thinking. Metanoia. Repent. It's a call of the gospel. Repent and believe. And here we see it in 717. You must say, Lord, I submit to you. I'm willing. I want to turn my back on sin, and I want to live for you. It's a choice. It sounds kind of like a prayer that we pray once in a while. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the same language. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It sounds like Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the same language. Not my will, but yours be done. It's essentially saying, God is saying, I want you to submit to me. I want you to submit to my authority. This huge authority thing, you see. And then I will reveal myself to you. Then you will know. And it's a powerful uh, linguistic thing here. Um, it's, it's a play on words. If anyone's will is to do God's will. In, in English, we kind of miss it. Here's the Greek for it. Uh, it's eontis, which was, if anyone, eontis, and here's the punchline, okay? Thele ta thelema. Hear that little play on words? Thele ta thelema. I'm not going to make you say this back to me. And you, <laughs> but I'm not speaking in tongues either. <laughs> thele ta thelema. What, and that is, it's a play on words saying, it's really saying, if anyone is willing the will, willing, thele means I am willing the will, thele ta thelema of him to do. If anyone, is willing the will of God to do. It's, a, it's surrendering. It's like, okay, I'm sick and tired of rebelling against you. Uh, remember, Paul was confronted by Jesus himself on the road to uh, Syria, on the road to the war-torn Syria. He was going to Damascus at the time. And remember what Jesus said to him? It's, it's, he said, it's hard for you to kick against the sharp objects pointing at you. By the way, it's, it's hard when you bang your head against them, too. I, I was practicing for this sermon. So, oh, yeah, that hurt. <laughs> um, but in a much more divine and wonderful way, Jesus said that to Paul. You're kicking against the goads in the King James. You're going against sharp objects. That's what rebellion is. And I want you to cut it out. You're hurting yourself. You're degrading yourself. I didn't make human beings to live like this. You're supposed to live on, for love and good and redeeming qualities that last. 
that will be passed down to your children and your grandchildren. They will remember. You know, even if you endured hardship, you went through a horrible, difficult time, a horrible, difficult relationship where you were treated badly, but you went through with character. You held your head high and you said, Lord, I'm willing to do your will. I'm not going to rebel, even when it's hard. He says, then you'll know that everything I'm teaching is true. Then you'll know. And I think that's kind of exciting. I can't unpack it fully uh, because I'm pretty finite. But I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> this is a key, in other words. There's a real key. We, w- we must be willing. Ta salema. Be willing the will of him to do. This is repentance. Not my will, but yours be done, Jesus prayed as he entered the period of dying on the cross for our sins. And delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. That's not willing. That's saying, Lord, I want to obey you in a week or so. But between now and then, I'm going to do a Mardi Gras. I'm going to have a party. You're not getting it. (laughs) You're not getting it. We're called to actually hate rebellion and desire to serve the creator in love. So let's see here. Yeah, this is repentance. And then that's my second point there, delayed obedience. See, because that's not willing, see. Now, theologically, by the way, this is another big by the way, none of us have the power to will to do his will. Okay, you, you, you just don't. But he works in us and through us and wants to give you the power to obey him. He wants to work through you to do his will. And it is always his power and always his desire uh, that works through us, but we must be willing. We must be saying yes. And when we're saying no, 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 or we're saying oh, maybe not yet, I'm not quite ready for that commitment yet, you know, I, I, I'm going to live for 15 more years uh, in depravity, and then I'll get right with God later on. You're not willing to do the will of God. Are you willing? It all comes from God. One of my favorite verses of all time, to me, that totally explains this in a philosophical, beautiful way. Philosophy, excuse me. <laughs> Philippians, <laughs> philosophy 2.12. <laughs> Philippians 2.12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, Paul's saying, I love you guys, I love you. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, it's like God's not going to break down the door and force you to live for him. I've done a lot of counseling with a lot of people with serious problems. And I I literally remember a guy, literally at Valley Medical Center, dying from cirrhosis of the liver. Very sad situation. And he needed a ton of intervention a long time ago, right? But he told me he would be sitting at the bar with a drink in his hand saying, God, if you want me to stop, you come in and take this cup away from me. And then he'd drink it, you know over and over and over again for many, many years. And 
Paul is saying, listen, you, please. You gotta be involved with this. You gotta make the right choices. You know, you gotta stay away from the bar. You gotta quit buying that stuff. Uh, work out your own salvation. But look at verse 13. It's the underlying theological reality of it. Never fear. God is at work here, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we pray to God, you know, give us the will, deliver, lead me not into temptation. You know, the temptation's fierce, and in that battle you say, Lord, take away the temptation, and you take action to avoid that temptation. Cut it off. Say no. Let's see. Know him and proclaim him. This is a, the last, this is, I'm just building one slide. He only had one slide. <laughs> I'm almost done. I'm going to go through this real quick. I'm sorry. Uh, know him and proclaim him. That's my, my point today. All that Jesus taught was fully consistent with God's truth. Fully consistent. How do you get there? Those who make it up seek their own glory. There's a whole lot of teachers who just make it up. Sometimes they just make it up on the spot. They don't do a tremendous amount of study in the Word of God and comparing Scripture and saying, oh, I don't know if that's right. Let me check this out. Let me check that out. Let me read a good commentary. Let me do the work that leads to authority. No, they just make it up on their own. And those that do that are seeking their own glory. They're actually worshiping themselves. They're saying, look at me. I'm giving you something innovative, never heard before. And Jesus says, that's not me. I'm not making it up. I'm not into my own glory. We should strive to seek the glory of God alone. See, this applies to our theology, our intellectual pursuits. Seeking God's glory alone means we really do the work to, to know what God has said. And we back it up, not with a couple of verses, but with a wealth of, of, of study, a depth, a background where we compare Scripture with Scripture, and we come up with a solid stance. It's not like, oh, I hope so, or maybe, but this is what God says. And I know it. I've earned it the good old-fashioned way by spending time in the precious Word of God, working toward being true and believing, believing no falsehood. That's our goal, to believe no falsehood. Jesus said, the one who seeks, I'm, I'm basing all of this on uh, that verse. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, it's verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him, that's the glory of God, of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. That's our goal. Jesus achieved that goal every time he opened his mouth. Uh, you and I never achieve that goal, okay? We get close, we approximate it, but it's a whole lifetime of, of achieving that goal, working toward being true and believing no falsehood. Watch out for falsehood. It's all over the place. People give you bad advice constantly. It's the easiest thing to find. Bad advice that seems reasonable, but it's bad advice. Uh, every believer, a theologian, You've heard me say this before, perhaps. This is, this is what I believe. You and I, we're called to be people who know God. We study God. Every believer is supposed to be a theologian. It sticks in my craw. I heard a T. 
TV preacher uh, saying, and this is what his, his point was, well, I'm no theologian, but blah, 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 blah. And he explained some error that he was launching into. And I was like, you know, why isn't somebody standing up and saying, okay, sit down? <laughs> we don't want somebody preaching who says, I'm not a theologian. I'm not studying God. You know, for, what, what, we should be crying out like an, an outrage, like what? It's like a doctor. Well, I've never studied medicine, but I think if I cut here, something might be good. No, that wasn't right. Okay. <laughs> what is that thing in there? Oh, that looks like a carotid artery. Gosh. <laughs> I'm, you know, this is what passes, right, for, for legitimate Bible study. No, we should all be developing as theologians. Every believer a theologian. Exegesis is essential. Now, it's a fancy word for saying we take the word of God very carefully, literally, we exegete, we bring out what's in here. Don't put in here what we want to put in here. Okay, it's huge. Base your knowledge on what is in the word of God. Truth matters. Truth matters. That's, that's kind of the basic line here. It matters if you worship and you bring glory to the creator or the creation. Truth is essential. We glory in God by knowing him and making him known. And look at this. This is a great ending idea. You keep him in perfect peace. See, it has tremendous personal benefit. We grow into perfect peace. Anxiety is our constant companion. At least it is mine. I get anxious about everything. But God keeps us in perfect peace whose mind he's developing. She's developing into a theolo theologian. She's getting, she didn't go to any school, but she knows her stuff. It's available. You have a Bible. We have some Bible studies. There's opportunities available. Keep, he keeps in perfect peace. His mind is stayed. It's like tied. My mind is tied to God because he trusts in you. We trust in the creator. We know him. We know he's, he's trustworthy. He can make a hummingbird. <laughs> Certainly he can take care of my problems. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for Jesus and we're trying to model some of our thinking after his. He's so unaffected. He's so, he doesn't dance to their tune. He's so free. He's, he knows what he's doing. He's so uh, trusting. He has his times when he's begging you in the Garden of Gethsemane for relief. There's nothing wrong with that. But he submits to your authority. He submits to you, Lord. And what a great example. He was willing to do your will. Lord, please, by your spirit, make us willing to do your will today. In Jesus' name, amen.